I couldn't have a podcast if it weren't for the people who have inspired me, whether it's my friends or family. I believe it's really important to let those who have helped you grow as a person or inspired you close by by letting them know how much they mean to you. I'm doing this by starting a new series. This is Interviewing the People I Love. Taking it to the max, not sports podcast episode. Um, starting a new segment here. Uh, the people who inspire me, the people I love. Guest of the month, my sister Maddie. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Um, good. My role model, not just my sister, my role model, my therapist, my second mom. Um, and like I said, the people who inspire me. So she's one of my inspirations. Has one of the cooler like life stories. Um, is kind of like reminds me of myself, like coming out of high school, a lot of our friends, a lot of people in North Dakota, like stay in state for college. Um, they follow their friends around and you went to Greece, mm -hmm. then you went to Madrid, yep. then you went all around the world, mm -hmm. then you went to Harvard. And like, when I got out of high school, I was like, I kind of want to do that. Like, I want to get out of North, not that there's anything wrong with North Dakota. We can get into that a little bit, but mm -hmm. more just that I want to like go out and it's very cliche, but like meeting new people, not being around the people that we we had great friends in high school. Mm -hmm. um, so it didn't have to do with that. It's more just like getting out there and kind of being on your own. Yeah. Um, so I kind of want to start with, she has a TED talk. <laughs> I, went, I, I went and witnessed it. It was probably like seven years ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I was still in college. Yeah. And so she has a TED talk called Step Out of Line. What is that title? I don't, I don't know what step out of the line or step out of line means. Yeah. But. So I named it because I, um, I just wanted to, to sort of share my experience. And I think an experience is possible for a lot of people that whatever they decide is, you know, um, the, what works best for them and the path for them, they can sort of step out of line of the, of the other life path that maybe they are expected to, to be in line for and to be waiting for and to be working towards. And, you know, we're all working towards something. And I just think that, um, that I gave that talk in the hope that, um, it could serve as a reminder for folks that, you know, there's a lot of ways to be you and, um, the one that, you choose, um, and you can choose many times in life, um, you know, is, is up to you ultimately, even though we all have different, um, you know, life circumstances that we're, we're faced with. There's a lot of ways to sort of, um, make your life, the life that you, that you, um, feels most authentic to you. I love that you believe in that more than anyone. Uh, by line, do you mean kind of like family generational, mm. um, Maybe social, like, obviously, if our dad, sorry, not our dad, guys. We have different dads. We are siblings. Mm -hmm. uh, you might not think it, different dads. Um, But maybe that, like, if our mom went to college, mm -hmm. maybe that'll influence us to go to college, even if it's not what we think, like, is best for us. Mm -hmm. Is that what you can, like, generational yeah. family, Yeah. Um, like, what's influenced on us, uh, we tend to kind of go towards that. Yeah, and stepping I, out your line, like making sure you do what you want to do mm -hmm. is best. Yeah, and sometimes I think you know you have to break some rules to do that. So I think you know getting a little out of line is necessary sometimes. Yeah, there's a quote in your TED talk about <laughs> rule breaking. Yeah, and I wrote down three. One of them wasn't it. Um, I loved it, but one was uh, throw life curveballs before it begins to throw them at you. Yeah. So if I remember correctly from that talk, and I haven't revisited it. Um, since I gave it is that, you know, I, I used to be a taxi driver and one of the, um, the people who I was driving was, you know, going through a lot. And, and I realized that, you know, no matter what, um, life path you choose, there's going to be curveballs, And so, um, so you might as well, you know, throw them yourself and decide that, you know, to, to knock things a bit off kilter, um, and, and get where you're trying to go rather than waiting for, for life to do it for you. I love that quote. Um, so she, I, I think, I don't know, right now we're in person together mm -hmm. at my older brother's house and having this podcast, like obviously in person, I'm going to do um, with all the like people that inspire me kind of series. Um, but especially since we're with my older brother and you're like best friend. Yeah. I kind of want to start there. 
I mean, I haven't really mentioned him on this podcast. He will be coming on, but like my big brother, Sam, and your best friend, mm-hmm. it, I think I want to talk about your life journey. Yeah. And I think it has to start with, um, we can talk about our siblings later on, but yeah. I want I want to start with your best friend, our, bro- our brother, Sam. My guy, Sam. Kind of where it all like started. You guys are mm-hmm. a year apart. Yeah, yeah, and... we're 22 months apart, and Sam um, is the most solid person I've ever met, and yes. I think that everything, or I know for myself that everything in my life has been possible, um, in large part because I've known that that I always have Sam being solid on the other end of it, you know what I mean? And right. we're very different people, um, but I just know that, like, and, you know, Sam, you know, I'm not somebody who maybe would have gone to college or, um, you know, uh, done a lot of the things I did if it weren't for Sam sort of setting the, um, the standard there. And, you know, he got a master's degree and I got a master's degree as well. Um, and I just, I, I, having Sam in my life makes, you know, all the things I've done that have sort of (laughs) spiraled my life into chaos in some ways, you know, living in places where I didn't understand the language and, and things like that, you know, just knowing I could always call Sam made it feel like, uh, the rest would really be possible. Right. I left you with an open-ended question there, but I think just starting with, um, kind of like who you grew up with, um, went through lots and then, uh, like eight, nine years down the road, Elliot, Solvay, Jack and I came along. Yeah, that um, was a baby boom. Yeah, but starting with Sam yeah. was a huge one. Um, you're, so when you start out the TED Talk, you kind of talk about your day in the life at Century High School, mm-hmm. where I went to school too. Mm-hmm. And when I worked five jobs um, the last couple of summers, I, I was like, I wasn't trying to compare myself to me, but I was like, <laughs> if she's doing what she's doing, uh, like you guys have to hear what she was doing during high school, especially senior year. Yeah. You talk about you woke up at 5 a.m., yeah. started at the paper. Yep. I worked at Bismarck Tribune before school. And then during school, I was the editor of the the newspaper, uh, the Century Star. And I was a student body president um, and was doing some other things. And I was working after school at a nonprofit called YouthWorks. Yeah, and- YouthWorks. Yeah, and um, where you've been involved too, mm-hmm. and um, and I, yeah, I was, you're in four AP classes. I was in four AP classes. I did drop one to take arts and crafts at some point, uh, which was a solid choice, I think. Um, yeah, it was just you know it. Um, Do you think these? Um... I don't know, starting at 5 a.m., doing after-school job, do you think this all kind of prepared you to get out? Literally, like, when you say, like, get out into the real world, I don't think it means, um, like, you're in your career. Yeah. I I actually think, like, your example is perfect. Like, get, get out into the real world by going to Greece for going to Greece for college. Yeah, so that Or was... just kind of, like, being out on your own. Yeah, so I think that's something that I feel really lucky about um, is that I've always had this belief that I'll figure it out. Um, and so when I, you know, when I was moving to Greece after school, I didn't really know, or after uh, high school, I didn't really know like that much about the school. I didn't know who'd be there. I didn't know who'd be living with. I didn't know how big it was. I was getting all these questions all the time. I just knew that I had a plane ticket and two backpacks, um, and that I would figure, I'd be able to figure it out. And, um, you know, something I think about uh, a lot is that it sort of seemed like uh, this sort of uh, dream world almost, but really, and there were really wonderful parts of it, but it was really tough, you know, like I had to figure out how to get a residence permit in a language that I was just learning and, um, you know, just navigate everything in, um, you know, how to get an apartment and pay my bills in like systems that I was unfamiliar with, you know, and so um I did. I, I figured it out and I'm glad I did, but it was, um, it was, I think that to answer your question, I think those things prepared me to be, um, a bit undaunted because I was, because these things, sorry to interrupt, because okay. these things in high school, like being independent by, um, working at the Bismarck Tribune in the morning, yeah. um, doing, finding out time to like, I don't know, in college, we really have to time management's key, but yeah. in, in high school, um, you can choose an easy path, take mm-hmm. choir, orchestra, whatever. Mm-hmm. Not saying those are like easy, but or 
you can fill your classes with AP classes. Mm -hmm. And so while you're taking four AP classes, um, is, I mean, they're, they're college courses. So like we, we know how much work we have as college students. And when you're working a job before school, Mm -hmm. after school, and then trying to fin while trying to be like a valedictorian or while Mm -hmm. trying to be an honor roll student. So like figuring out, um, I guess it all kind of comes back to like being independent time management. Yeah. So I think those things were, yeah, those were you were, key. I, I interrupted you answering that question, but those things helped no, you. No, you really, you, you, summed it up well. and, you summed it up well. Yeah. Yeah. I had these words done. Um, uh, the friends you met, if you were lonely, uh-huh. your involvement, um, FOMO communication with family. Mm. So I kind of want to start with, um, actually I had written down, uh, like, where you traveled and what mm, you learned. Yeah. Cause when you're, I don't know, I've had the privilege. I've been very lucky to, the only time I've been to Europe was to go to your graduation in St. Louis university of Madrid, which we'll get to, but I uh, have the, had the privilege to be in Europe and travel around Europe. And mm-hmm. when you're there, it's not like traveling on a plane state to state. I mean, it, like distance wise it is, mm-hmm. but the, the cost mm-hmm. is like, once you're there, you got to get everywhere because yeah you're paying as much to get over there as you are to travel all around. So where, where did you go when you were there? Um, Did you travel with friends that you met at the Mm -hmm. university? What was that kind of like? Yeah. So as you're saying, it was super affordable to travel. Um, You know, I can, um, at that time I could, you know, pack a backpack and be traveling to many countries for like six to eight weeks for like a thousand dollars. It's crazy. And, you know, that was also like eating five cent donuts right. for three days in a row. But um, that was what I wanted to do. Um, so I did a lot of solo travel and I went um, in terms of Europe at that time when I, I split my studies between Greece and Spain. I traveled um, everywhere in Europe except for Finland and Russia. Um I haven't made it there yet, but I will hopefully someday. You've been to Scandinavia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Been to, yeah. Was it Sweden and Denmark? Yep, I was there and then also Norway. Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, the the times that, or I guess not the times that you're lonely, but um, from day one ever since, I mean, mom and mom has told me the story of like dropping you off yeah. with your backpacks and then. Peacing like, out. Yeah, they pieced out. So was it from the beginning that you um were lonely or were you just so excited to be there that it took a while and then there were like moments while you're mm. there that you became lonely and how did you kind of cope with cope with it yeah um so I remember the first day I was alone in the hostel in Greece I had like 10 days before school started and I woke up and I was like what am I doing yeah like why am I doing this like I don't understand anything like you know whatever and then I met these Germans who were like, well, let's go camping. We're going camping. So we went camping on this island um, for a weekend. And I really credit them with sort of getting me out of that funk and being like, you know, uh, sort of almost like like uh, carrying me into adulthood almost and making me think like, oh, I'm going to meet people who I enjoy and trust. And, um, you know, this is they really sort of set the tone. Uh, but I will say that it was, you know, for a lot of times, um, especially being so far from home, it was incredibly lonely. And um, as you know, I'm, I'm really obsessed with my siblings. And while I felt like I really wanted to show all of you that you can, you know, what you want is possible for you. And I will help you try to figure it out in any way that I can that, um, you know, there are times that were so lonely. And, and I've been talking about this a little bit um, recently in conversation, but like, I don't think we prepare people for that part of, of early adulthood when you're on your own, you know, that it is, you know, we talk about these great things that are, that are coming, but, um, there's really lonely parts and really you, you're figuring out who you are and what that means and, and who's going to be a part of that journey with you. And that those people are going to change all of the time. And we don't talk enough about that. I don't think. And so people are, myself included, were really unprepared for how challenging it would be. Um, especially in a place where, you know, when you're in a country that you're from, people uh, like inherently understand you a little bit, you know, there's that sort of like, they just get you, your mannerisms and things like that. But to not even have that understood. Um, yeah, there are times where it was super, super lonely. Um, a lot of, I mean, I'm sure uh, a lot of your friends, like when you guys graduated, they, they went to UND University of North Dakota or North Mm -hmm. Dakota State University, even BSC you marry these yeah. in-state colleges. So um, I guess social media wasn't, I'm talking like it was 
like, like I'm super old. Yeah, super old. But social media wasn't as big of a thing when um, you were going off to college, at least for like, because we use Snapchat so much. Yeah. So like you're always seeing pictures of like what people are doing, I guess, Facebook and Instagram. But um, fear of missing out. Uh, did you have law FOMO when you were um, in Greece or did they have, I mean, they had to have FOMO when they weren't in Greece with you, yeah, right? Like, I mean, I don't remember as much. I think I was so caught up in trying to, to build a community for myself there and be really present there. Um, I did have maybe some, um, we had Facebook and so that was less instant of updates. I didn't know what everyone was doing every day. I did know I was missing big things. Um, what were those things? You know, people's birthdays or, or milestones yeah. or um, just like the sort of... Hockey games. Yeah, just sort of those like uh, quintessential like American experiences, right. you know, that I that I wouldn't have. Um, though I did go to welcome weekend at UND once before I left for school. So I got one of those. But I've been pretty fortunate in that I don't feel super... Um, not having a lot of FOMO. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know what that comes from. I think I, just trying to be present I think, and yeah, like being right. I think like just being independent, mom. I mean that comes back to I don't know too much about your dad, but yeah. for sure, mom like kind of raising us to be pretty independent. Yeah. And you and Sam did it very well. Um, I think FOMO comes when you're like dependent, obviously dependent on others mm -hmm. to not only have fun but. Um, make decision like you're doing everything with them you're going to it's not like me taking a shot at people that go to the same college as their high school friends yeah. because that's a great choice for a lot of people right and yeah. like finance finances wise yeah. to stay in state yeah 100 but i think uh fomo kind of comes in when you're when you're like not as independent you're kind mm. of dependent on like your others like what your friends are doing um so i don't think you really had that problem because you're working lots of jobs you're yeah. doing lots of things in high school yeah which comes back to like preparing you for being out uh going out of college yeah um so i also had written down uh your involvement like your academic involvement you were in greece for one year I was semester in greece for one year yep and then i moved to madrid i transferred what was your involvement at was it thessaloniki thessaloniki the american you, college of thessaloniki okay. Um, clubs, orgs. We didn't really have so much of that. Um, it's not so much a thing outside of, of this. I, I was a nanny to a wonderful family. Yes. Yeah. They taught me a lot of Greek cause they were really young. Yes. And did you end up becoming not fluent, but did you end up mm -hmm. in your one year there? Do you think you picked up on, well, obviously you picked up on a lot of the language, yeah. but were you able to speak it with others or did you rely more on your English? I relied more on my English. My Greek got better throughout the year and then I went back. So I went to Greece and then I did a year in Spain and then went back to Greece um, for a while and it got a little better then, but um, yeah, I think I probably speak like a, like a preschooler maybe. I know like Sagapopo. Sagapo. 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 Uh, that's about all I know. Mm. Um, communication with family. I was kind of too young to remember if we ever really talked, but like WhatsApp or how did you, how did you talk we to mom? We Skyped a mom lot, and actually. We Skyped. I kind of, I, I just remember Skyping when, yeah, I guess Skype because I remember when mom and Sam and you were all in Europe before they dropped you off. Yeah. We Skyped a lot, but, um, communication with family was that, uh, when it, did you did you only communicate when you became lonely or did you try mm. uh figuring it out on a weekly basis so yeah. that cuz yeah. it's more about i think like parents worrying than yeah. you worrying yeah. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. obviously they want to know what we're up to all the time yeah then we care for to like stay in touch with them which is a little selfish of us but at the same time we're doing our own thing yeah no now one of my my sister is abroad and for a semester and i worry about her and then i think about like you know, did I even check in? Like, yeah. Um, so I didn't actually have a phone. Um, I had a, I had an iPhone four that was on airplane mode. So it had no service cause I didn't have service. It was just basically used Games. as a Wi-Fi device. Okay. Yeah. So I could get apps on there and like, um, things like that. And so like, sometimes I think about that, like I'd meet my friends and be like, let's meet at the train station at this time. And we just have to like hope for the best. Yeah. And this yeah. was in 2010 yeah like everyone had a phone yeah I, well, it was 2012 i graduated from high school so it was like 2012 or yeah, okay. through 2016 yeah yeah 
Uh, so it wasn't super long ago. I ran out of phone, but I didn't. Um, I don't know why. Um, and so I I tried to stay on top of it because, um, you know, you guys were so young that it was like, I didn't, you know, like it's, I wanted to, you to always feel like I was a part of your life, even if I was far away, you know? Yeah. Um, and so sometimes like I'd call and I'd just be put sort of on the iPad stand at dinner and just like sit there and eat with you guys. Okay. Yeah. Now it's kind yeah. of coming yeah. back yeah. to me. Yeah. I remember And I'd come back more. in the summers as well. Right. Um, but that's the thing about your, the, to your question about loneliness, that is the thing you have to stay, you know, sometimes if it goes too far, it's hard to quite, you know, backpedal a little bit. So it's like, you kind of got to stay, uh, on top of things so you don't get to the point where it feels sort of like too lonely, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and then you transferred after one year, you transferred yeah. to St. Louis University in Madrid. Yep. Uh, a, why did you answer? And B, am I answered, but was uh, the American University at Thessaloniki? Or is College that of Thessaloniki. College of Thessaloniki. Yeah. Is that a one year or is it a four year and you just decided yeah. to transfer? So it's a four year school, but um, I had thought maybe after one year in Greece, I would move back to the U.S., um, but then I really wanted to stay there and it made college a lot more affordable to be there. Um, and so I was looking into the best degree I could get abroad and it, um, it's St. Louis University has a campus in Madrid that's really affordable. So I transferred there and, you know, I spoke some Spanish at that point, but wanted to certainly get better and Madrid seemed like a great city. So. And your only Spanish came from Brinjolfson in yeah, high school yeah. and probably not much in Greece. No, So you probably lost a lot of it over yeah. one year and then regaining it yeah. when you go back. Um, yeah, so you transferred there after one year, and that's why I had written down, like, learning Spanish, getting mm -hmm. around. I think a lot of people have – it really opened my eyes when I was um, rooming with one of my best friends, Richie, and he's from Germany. He went to uh, high school in Germany, and then he came to Syracuse. I think it's a lot of misconception uh, for people that, like, Europeans speak – they learn, and they speak very, very well English, and so, like – people are they're they're like oh you're gonna people are probably saying how are you gonna go to greece for mm. or how are you gonna go to greece how are you gonna go to spain for college how are you gonna go live there mm -hmm. if you don't know these languages yeah and when i was there i learned like you can get around obviously it helps to know and learn a language but mm -hmm. you can get around knowing english and obviously yeah. it's universal and i just run into a lot of like not just high school friends but even people at syracuse that are like surprised when um when like when I was rooming with someone who's from Germany mm. and like he was able to speak English I'm like yeah. hey you guys like I guess I can't say I knew that since day one but yeah. I think it's just a mis misconception that we have yeah. so l going to Spain going to St. Louis University um becoming fluent in Spanish um was the experience like at St. Louis University it was good. I kind of met my people there. Those are where most of my college friends are from. Um, and I worked a lot there and I worked um, at the embassy, at the U.S. embassy in Madrid. And so I had to speak Spanish for that job. Um, I had a bike, so I biked around a lot, um, which was fun. Madrid's like the coolest place yeah, ever. Yeah, it's a great city. It's really great. And um, that's just a great city to live in. And it was really, um, I felt a little, I felt really settled there um and good which is why I stayed for three years yeah yeah and um yeah no it's a great city and you know we're just we sort of just got lucky that English is you know sort of become a, a widespread language right. you know very well could have been French and we would have you know actually you know it would have been had to, to learn it, it. it would have been great to learn um which as Americans yeah. isn't easy for us but yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's easy for everyone. We just, anyone, we just don't prioritize it in the yeah. way other places do, which we should. Um, your, was your involvement, I guess, with orgs, because there's a, well, I guess in the Thessaloniki, it was, it was an American college too, yeah. but were there more, invo were there more involvement opportunities yeah. um, through SLU than uh, Greece? And because you're there for three years, you found your kind of group of people, mm -hmm. traveled with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I was in a couple clubs. I wish I remembered the name. They're around like international relations and things like that. And just being rights. at the embassy. Yeah, that was quite a job. Um, yeah, and um, the friends that you met there are you still 
A, in contact with, or B, have you seen them? I haven't seen them in a long time. I went to, um, I was in one of their weddings after college. Um, Talk to them here and there. Uh, WhatsApp. Yeah, WhatsApp for sure. Um, Love WhatsApp. Yeah. Yeah. WhatsApp is clutch. Um, And then after St. Louis University, you came back for a summer? Or did Mm -hmm. you go straight to Azerbaijan? Uh, Azerbaijan, yeah, Azerbaijan was a summer, uh, yeah, a summer before, before I graduated, I think. Before you graduated Mm -hmm. St. Louis University. Yeah. So you, okay. So there's one summer you, where you didn't go home and you Mm -hmm. went to Azerbaijan. Yep. Sorry, I can't say it. That's okay. Um, what was the experience like there? That was interesting. Um, I I guess tell the audience what I've, I've heard some about, but what you did there Mm -hmm. and what the country is like. Yeah, I, I had an internship there, um, and um, I was working and and meeting a lot of Peace Corps volunteers, so I spent some time with them, um, and I was really lucky. I had a wonderful hostess who let me live with her and um, traveled around a lot, went to some weddings, uh, learned a lot, ate a lot. Um, yeah, for it was an interesting summer. experience for a summer, yeah. Then you went back, and um, and then you went back. You graduated. We yeah. came for six weeks. Mm-hmm. So fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then, what did you? Because you took, was it one or two years before you went to Harvard? Because uh, you went to Malaysia two. before. Mm-hmm. I went to Malaysia for a year. Yep, but it was kind of a goofy uh, timing because it's like I graduated in May. We traveled for a bit, and then the Fulbright in Malaysia didn't start until uh, January. And you were driving taxi? I was driving taxi and I was waitressing, yep. Okay. And what was the taxi driving experience like? I loved it. I I wanted to have that job forever. Um, And I was also working for uh, a nonprofit working against against human trafficking as well. I remember that. Yeah. Not through YouthWorks? Through, uh, it's like a somehow, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it... um, I, I could have driven taxi forever. Yeah. Yeah. I would I've love to do that. Learned it's a pretty high burnout job, but and Uber and Lyft are taking over. Yeah. At the stories I've heard like Yeah, I loved some it. Some background. Like my dad re- uh, had Taxi Nine Thousand, which is the taxi company in Bismarck. It's I was now, driver number eighty four. Now passed down, but yeah. The stories you hear and it's kinda sad that Uber and Lyft take took over, but that's bound to come with the uh, technology and mm. and I guess you were in the you were driving taxi right before that kind of happened. Yeah, I sort of was. Yeah, yep. Um, and then waitress coaster. waitressing at the mm-hmm. bistro, the yep. only fancy restaurant. Bismarck. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a good time. Um, I was doing that in the summers too. It helped pay for college, and um, I like the pace of that. Like I think you know, like it's just you're always sort of you're like one step ahead of your thoughts almost. So you're always like sort of in a flow. Right. Yeah. And then you go to Malaysia. Yep. And yeah, that the, was quite a year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just like love, love seeing the pictures of the kids you were teaching and yeah. teaching. So that's what you were doing in Malaysia. Yeah. Yep. I was working with kids, uh, teenagers and um, starting clubs and uh, starting a student newspaper and um, doing a lot of storytelling and, and health work and things like that. And you're working with younger, older kids, middle school, mm, high school. Like, yeah, like middle and high school. Yeah, yep. These kids are awesome. They I just, are. I mean, it was a while ago, but I vividly remember, like, hearing from you and seeing pictures of the kids. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot from them. Of Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan, we'll figure it out someday. Um, Malaysia, yep. Greece, and Spain. You did this all before you. Were 24 mm-hmm. 25 years old yeah um how would you not only rank these places but which Oof. one did you which one did you learn like the most from where do you think you like grew the most mm. um or were they all just kind of different in their own ways yeah i probably grew the most in greece because it was my first year i was 18 um, and then you got settled in yeah kind of in settled spain. in a bit in, in spain probably had the best like uh, life in spain if you will um and Malaysia was a really transformational year, year in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, they all sort of were. Ranking. 
That's so rude. Um, in terms of my life there, I would say uh, Spain, Greece, Malaysia. Um, and how long were you in Azerbaijan? Just a summer. Three months. Yeah. yeah, but I think that, you know, Greece will always have my heart in its own way because it was like my first, yeah. you know, spot. And I just love everything about that place. Your first home. Um, and then after you go to Malaysia, mm -hmm. you do once, not even a summer, a summer back home. Yep. And then um, we were at Space Aliens the night that you got into Harvard. Yep. And um, it was always your dream. I mean, Columbia, Harvard, you yeah, know, like those were kind of always your dreams. Um, what was it like to get accepted? We'll start with that, Harvard. Um, and I guess, like, what do you think, um, what helped, not just your resume, but what helped you as a person to be able to, like, prepare for, because mm. in America, like, Harvard is kind of like the gold standard. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Right? And so, and it's not like, um, it's not really an opinion, like, it, I mean, all schools are obviously, especially Ivy League schools are amazing, but it's kind of like you see Harvard on movies, mm. you hear about Harvard, like this is kind of the gold standard. And so like when it, the applicant pool, whether it's for undergrad, law school, um, public health, like master school, like it's all very competitive. So what do you think led you or what do you think um, helped you as a person to mm. prepare for Harvard and help you through application process, all that? Yeah, so um, I think especially in master's, but something I've heard about undergrad applications too is that it, you know, a lot of us do a lot of different things, you know, we and, and um, but a lot of times what schools are looking for is one thing that you've mastered rather than like a lot of things that you've tried, you okay. know, and, um, and so I, so what my, what I focused on my application is that even though I'd had all these different experiences, done all these things, I found the one through line through it um, and tried to make a compelling case of how it all tied back to public health and why I cared about public health. Um, and I honestly think, you know, like um, it, well, your question about what it felt like is that, um, you know, I sometimes worried that uh, deciding to do, you know, the, the college court or like track that I did, um, that wasn't even really a track. I sort of just like made it up, you yeah. know, um, that it wouldn't, pr that I wouldn't have many options afterward. Um, but I really believe that that is what allowed me to, to get the Fulbright. And then the Fulbright is probably what helped my application stick out for master's. So I would say that for people who are thinking about their master's, you know, if they're not in an accelerated program or something, you know, taking some time to work or to figure out or try out and strengthen, you know, their case and make sure that they really do like and want what their master's is in. Um, cause I, by the time I got into public health school, it, it was so clear to me, this is what I really wanted. Um, do you say, I'm kind of like, we've talked about this, but I'm kind of mm -hmm. going through that right now. And do you think, um, like taking time to figure out, and for me, it's not so much like I'm questioning social work. Yeah. It's more like where I want to be. Yeah. Um, what I want to do with like, I guess like, yeah, like where I want to kind of figure out or finish my undergrad. Yeah. Do you think taking time off for that is, and not just myself. I mean, a lot yeah. of people are probably wondering yeah. if they're in their major, like if it's the right one for them, but just taking time off, not just so much for your master's, but in your undergrad as well. So I can't speak for other people, but to speak for myself is that I think if I had quit in the, not quit, but paused in the middle of undergrad, I don't think I would have gone back. Like momentum is really big for me, you know, and you're just sort of like building in on things and, and um, you just have that flow of, of, you know, one year leads to the next leads to the next. Um, and so for me, it was important that I sort of stayed the course there. Right. Um, and that might not be for everybody, you know, maybe people know themselves a little better than I did at that point um, and can take that time and know that they'll go back. But what I will say is there's no such, there's no such thing as being behind you know, right now, and I'm saying that to you as much as I'm saying it to me, you know, right now I'm 28 and, um, and, you know, there are certain things I thought I would have done in life or had in life that I don't. And I have to always remind myself that I'm not behind. 
you know, yeah, because we have you, so much. Right. Yeah, and you always so make a trade off, right? Like if you choose certain things, you're not choosing others. And right. so I made certain choices and I'm, I'm glad that I did. And in times where I, you know, think about um, the way things could have been other ways, I just try to remember that that would be not having, you know, what I have now. That's great advice. Um, you talked about the, yeah, the application process for Harvard getting mm-hmm. in, but um, guys, a full, a Fulbright is also like a really big thing. <laughs> And while we think getting into like Harvard or not just Harvard, but any um, school, like any out-of-state school that you apply to, any school in America um, is challenging in its own ways. But getting a Fulbright, how did you find out about it? Mm-hmm. How did you, what's the application process like? Yeah. Um, and then what's... I mean, you, you kind of talked about life in Malaysia, mm-hmm. but what is the application process like and how did you find out about a Fulbright opportunity? Because I bet a lot of the audience who, um, there's, there's a lot of audience. Yeah. So may there's a lot of subscribers, <laughs> yeah. a lot of listeners. So yeah. they all yeah, want to yeah. know what the Fulbright yeah. opportunity, how it came to be. And yeah. So there's a, like. there's a couple different Fulbrights and you sort of choose your country and then you have to sort of apply through your school. And so they have to almost like, um sort of not stand up for you, but not validate you maybe is the word, support you. Um, So you apply through the school and I mean, you do all your own application stuff and there's letters of recommendation and it's, it's pretty lengthy um, application and every country is different. Um, And, you know, Malaysia, I chose for a number of reasons. Um, And yeah was this application process um not scarier but kind of i mean you're going to malaysia you probably didn't know unless you did like research before you probably didn't know too much about it before going there was it kind of like um when all your friends are um not all your friends but a lot of your friends are staying in state for college or Mm -hmm. staying close to home and then you're going to greece was the was it kind of scary like you're going Mm. to malaysia Mm -hmm. um to teach kids not only just english but to kind of like build a community there was it kind of similar to going to greece to be like on your own for another i mean you're there for a year you're in malaysia for a year it did feel a little bit again like i wasn't doing the the right thing if you will you know like i wasn't getting a job right out of college i was sort of having another year of um of of a fellowship yeah, the right thing. You say in your TED Talk, difference does not equal scary or wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that's really important, right? Um, because it doesn't. And there's just, you know, something I'm learning more and more um, is that uh, it just makes a lot of sense to pursue whatever the heck you want to do. Yeah. yeah. I think doing and the right thing comes to like the social constructs that yeah right society puts on things like which start to feel real at some point you know yeah because yeah. you're literally the only one right like i'm the only one at syracuse from north dakota yeah i mean as i not as i should be but no one would like know about this university yeah. and you're probably the only person then to go to greece after their first from obviously where we're from yeah i was the only american to... there for the year and it's an American college in Thessaloniki. Yeah, yeah. How does how does that even work? I mean, like some people come for study abroad, but they're usually like juniors or, or yeah, juniors. Okay. And they're only there for a couple months. So I pretty small school though. Yeah, it's pretty small. Hmm. Yeah. Um, what was your? We talked about everything leading up to, and then you get accepted into Harvard and yeah. it probably feels like all your hard work has paid off because it really did. not only like as a kid was this your dream but then like when you get older and you realize like Harvard is kind of like a select few mm-hmm. um you really start to feel like all your hard work has paid off and then once you're there I think all the friends that I know of yours besides your high school friends um you met at Harvard so I think this did this feel kind of more like the right thing mm. that we come back sort to? Sort of. It did feel a little bit like the right thing. Um, well, you're still not with like the people you grew up with yeah. or even close to home. Yeah. Boston right. and North right. Dakota. Close, but I wanted but... to be in the U.S. Uh, for a couple of reasons. And one was, you know, 
my younger siblings were getting ready to finish high school and, and go to college, you being one of them. And I wanted to be there for that transition. Um, and, and just be closer and, you know, Sam and Abby were having a baby and, and things like that. Um, and so it made more sense geographically and it felt like the right thing because it felt like something that, um, people understood a little better than my other decisions, you know, it was a little easier to explain. Right. Um, and, and as you're saying with the friends there, like something that's cool about master's programs is that the people that are there really want to be there and, you know, they, they want to study the thing you're studying and they care about it and they have cool experiences in it. And so you just find these people who like, they're your people, you know, like they really are. And that starts to happen a little bit in college as you like, um, hit maybe your junior and senior years, but in a master's degree, I really found that like, those are my people. And then, um, you know, Harvard has a great program where you can take classes at different schools. And so, you know, I can have a hard time choosing exactly what I want. So it's nice to just have that variety. And your people, um, I think like public health and social work, or at least I know for at Syracuse is, it's not like a business. It's not like a communications degree where there's thousands of, and it depends on the size of school, but it's not like the biggest uh, degree or mm-hmm. master's program at your school. I think when you say your people, I think it means more, especially when you're in like a smaller mm-hmm. um, kind of like class size. Yeah. Right. So like Harvard, Harvard law school is very well known. And I'm sure yeah. it's a lot bigger than your public health yeah. master's um yeah master's was so when you say you you find your people like we're kind of not we as in social work majors but mm-hmm. like just a smaller program is yeah um like relates to that a lot more than um people who are in like business or which yeah. is nothing wrong with that but right. i've just like seen that in my first year and year and a half at college where when you're in a smaller program you just kind of like meet your people yeah more often yeah but your friends there that you've met you're still very close with very close yeah. lived with them one of them in new york city mm-hmm. lily lily yeah and um your relationship with her yeah she's, she means she means so to much you, to I me think. yeah i really i really love her i was just in mexico for her birthday party um you know and we um this might be jumping ahead a little bit but we lived in a small apartment in brooklyn for um throughout the pandemic together um you know so we really um yeah, she's somebody who I just feel really lucky to, you know, share my life with and, and have um as a as a person in my life. That's awesome. Yeah. Um so living at Har- I got to visit you like once or twice while you're in mm-hmm. Boston. Yeah. But Boston's you're kind just kind of a Boston boy. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like Boston as much as lots of other people do? Would you live there? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, now you now maybe not, but yeah. Even after you know, I thought maybe I'd stay after my master's, but no, I don't think so. New York City was more your vibe than New York City was my vibe Boston. for a little bit there. Yeah, we'll switch there. So yeah, as a kid living, when did you go in New York City for the first time? I went to New York City with Sam, our brother, and our mom when she was pregnant with you. Okay, and from that moment, you're like, I'm gonna live in New York City when yeah. I'm older. Yeah, yeah, and yep. This was probably the most like full circle experience for you. It was, it was, yeah, it was my big, uh, it was a big thing. And so I moved there after I got my master's and, and Lily was one of my best friends in grad school and we moved there together and our job started on the same day. And, um, yeah. You lived on Madison street. I worked on Madison Avenue. Worked on yeah, Madison yeah, Ave. Yeah. What, um, more about like living in New York city. I think a lot of people who haven't been there have lots of, um, ideas of what New York City is like, but mm-hmm. what's what was the day to day life when pre and post pandemic? Because yeah, um, the pandemic was obviously an outlier of what New York City yeah. is like. So I was only there for about three weeks before the pandemic hit, and then we were the That's hardest right. hit city. So uh, we lived it up for three weeks, and then we were inside, and and um, you know, but even then, um, the first time of the pandemic, I had a car I, that I got in Bismarck. And drove out to New York City so we could go to the beach and go hiking safely, um, do outdoor outdoor stuff safely. Um, and living in New York as the city opened back up, um, you know, it was good. It was a lot, you know, like I was laughing earlier with 
Sam and Abby that everything's kind of hard in New York City. Like you got to take your laundry out like a couple blocks to wash it and you have to switch three trains to trains to get somewhere. And, you know, but there's also a lot of, I think it's a really magical city. Um, I, besides the touristy stuff, it's like mad, like, it's just so like well known and big. Yeah. But there's so many people there that you don't even always know, you know, like, you know, there's just so many people. There. Very it's diverse. Not, yeah, it's not like you're, like, in Disneyland and it's all tourists. You know, there's just, like, people um, going about their day and it's people who are, you know, there for the first time checking out Chimes Square and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we talked about it. It kind of just came down, and you don't have to talk about it if you don't want, but it kind of yeah. came down to not being ha- happy, not being happy, but, like, kind of wanting something new and like yeah. the chaotic you, you just said like everything's hard there just the chaotic lifestyle kind of led you out there and I think a goal of yours since not since you got there but was to always like be in like to fast forward a little bit but to like be in Vermont or like yeah. be in a house kind of yeah. just on your own and yeah yeah so I did think you know that I would maybe live in New York forever um and then when as, you first got there or as a kid bef- yeah as a kid and then when I first got there maybe but then as time went on, I realized that it just wasn't as for me. And there are things I really craved in life that I, that weren't accessible there. And, um, I really wanted to feel more grounded and more out, like outside more. And also like, you know, we grew up in a place where community is really important and people really show up for each other. And, um, I really wanted to move somewhere where it felt like people were really going to be there for a long time and we can sort of care for each other. And, um, you know, build that community and, and also have the outdoors. And so, you know, it sort of happened that my lease was, um, coming up on my apartment and I was getting this feeling I didn't want to live there. And I, uh, was in a relationship that had just ended and, um, and all that sort of came to head. And then two of my friends who live in Vermont who I'd visited. And since I'd visited, I just had this feeling sort of in the back of my head, like I really want to be in Vermont, but I sort of ignored it because there was another voice that's like, but you always said you wanted to be in New York city, you know? And like, I've, you know, I've been looking forward to a point in my life where I wasn't on the move all the time and, um, to get in a routine. Yeah. And I wanted that to end to have that community, you know, that, that takes years to really build and live in. And, um, and so I, um, and then as I finally just admitted to myself that like, you know, it wasn't there and it was Vermont and two of my friends who live there are married to each other and we're having a baby and I'm also a doula and they had sort of a space off the side of their house that I could stay in. And so I packed a U-Haul and, and moved up and then, um, and then, you know, thought like, oh, maybe eventually I'll buy a house, but then. I had a meeting with the credit union to get the letter to get to be approved to buy a house. And then once I had that, they're like, oh, we really like this, um, you know, this list of realtors. And I found one who I really, really liked. And then we went and the first house I looked at uh, in person, you know, I looked at some others like and, and thought about going. But the first I looked at it in person when I got out of the car and closed the door. I, was, I looked at the realtor and I was like, oh, I think I have to live here. And she was like, let's make it happen. <laughs> so it was really against all odds. Like there were a lot of odds stacked against me for that house. Um, the market's really competitive right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people are um, able to pay cash for houses and things like that. And I wasn't quite there, but I wrote a letter to the sellers and just, you know, let them know who I was and sort of my dream for this, this home and this land. And um, it worked out. Yeah. What do you want to do at the home? And like explain. Yeah. So it's on two I acres know, but... and there's like a, a stream that runs through the front and I want to have. In um, the woods. In the woods. Uh, so I want to have, you know, a, a really big garden. I want to plant a fruit tree for each of my siblings and nephews and ancestors. Um, I want to grow a lot of indigenous foods and herbs, herbs for my doula babies. Um, I also want in the back in the woods, I want to put some glamping tents so people can come and stay. Um, yeah. Lots of goals. They're starting with uh, shopping at TJ Maxx and yeah, in we, Danville. Yeah, Not yeah. Danville, but yeah. Williamsport. Um, got a bench today. I have paint for the house and, um, making money moves. Yeah. Um, but it all, like you had an idea of moving to Vermont when you met these people, but couldn't happen if StoryCorps, yeah. where you work, that is where I work. uh, let you go remote. So, yeah. um, what is working at, what is StoryCorps? Yeah. 
And what is working at StoryCorps like? Yeah, so I work at StoryCorps, which is a place I'd have wanted to work for years and years. Um, and I've applied a few times. And years as in when you were in college or when did you find out I about think, it? I think, yeah, college. Maybe taxi driving like in the summers in college. Um, and never, you know, I'd applied a few times and then I finally applied after. And so I work to manage partnerships with StoryCorps. StoryCorps is an oral history organization that um, you know, believes that storytelling and listening can build a more just and compassionate world. Um, and I really believe that to be true for health. And so I, I work on health, a lot of health partnerships and different hospitals and foundations and things that want um, to do storytelling models um, or do storytelling programs. You know, we bring in the StoryCorps model and have partnerships with them. And I manage those partnerships. Um, yeah, it was my dream for a long time to work there. And they they let me uh, go full time remote, and so um, that was huge. One yeah. of the big, th- one of the only good things that came out of COVID. Yeah, being yeah. able to be remote with a job. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've been traveling for the last two months, and um, that wouldn't be possible without you know being able to go remote. Right. Yeah. Um. So okay, we talked about StoryCorps, Vermont. Yeah. Um, you're very involved. We can get into your website, your future goals later, mm-hmm. but. You're very involved, and you've always kept me up to date. Um, I don't know how politically involved you are, but mm-hmm. I know, like, socially. Yeah. Um, and I don't have too many questions about this, but uh, what can we do kind of – I'll first start with, like, what can we do as a society to um, – really switch in here, but what, what can we do as a society to improve this country that's right now? And it, it kind of all – like, all these social – um, uh, social conflicts that we have kind of lead to polit, like it all kind of wraps around mm, political. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but what can we kind of do as a society to? What do you think is our biggest flaw right now? Yeah. How can we improve this country and kind of get back to, um, maybe pre-COVID, mm-hmm. maybe pre-other decades where when we were more like whole and more unite. Yeah. So I think, you know, a couple things there. I think that um, we can vote, we can, and we can love each other. Like, I think that, um, you know, I think that, that maybe that sounds cheesy, but I think that, you know, um, I was raised in a place where I don't believe politically what a lot of people who uh, live there believe. And also they, um, these people loved me and cared for me. And I know that they're not um terrible people, Bad people uh you know and and so i think that remembering that um a better world is possible and you know something that i write around uh, write about and and think about a lot is that you know for me you know my dad is indigenous and and our ancestors um you know survived sort of their end of the world as they knew it and so how do we harness that wisdom and the the they're just like the ultimate act of love of them, you know, working to and, and surviving to um, believe in a better world, you know, and, and I think we can do that um, with their knowledge and with their wisdom and and making it into, you know, bringing it into the current context and what we're living in. But I think it comes down to is like, um, you know, seeing each person as a person and as a whole human being with um, people who they love and people who love them and people who care for them. And, and, and once you see that, like, it's hard not to act from a place of love, you know, because like, you're, you know, you're one of those people and everyone's one of those people and, and understanding that people are scared and they should be because it's, it's a really scary time, I think, for a lot of us. And when people are scared, they, react and act in ways that, you know, they're trying to protect themselves and their families. And it doesn't at all, you know, make a lot of things that are happening okay. But when you see people as acting from fear, you know, if we're looking at what the the opposite of that or the antidote to that is to love them, and that can be really challenging. Um, but I think when you come from a place of love and that understanding, um, we just you know, we get to a better world. And, and part of that does come in and why I, you know, do the work I do in storytelling and listening is like that empathy of, of listening to somebody and actually hearing them. And then, you know, letting that inform your views more than 
any, you know, narrative that, that might be influencing you to believe that um, everyone around you is evil and wants to harm you. You know, certainly there are people who, who mean harm, but if there are 8 billion people, I don't really believe they could all wake up and mean harm and that any of us would survive. You know right. what I mean? Like it has to, it has to ultimately be a, and for the most part, you know, every decade and, and year more and more gets a little bit safer and, and, um, you know, we learn a little bit more as, as a society. And I think that that's what we can ask of people, um, and to meet their fear with love and, Again, that's not an, always an easy task, but it's a possible one in our daily interactions. Um, I I love that stance on how we can kind of improve it because it's it's kind of like one of the golden question, or it's kind of like what everyone is asking, like where are we going to be able to do moving forward because there's yeah. so much divide right now. Um, so I love that, and and yeah. so I asked for socially and individually. You you obviously touch on it. We can be more loving, but mm-hmm. what about um? She so said. Obviously, when you're older than 18, you can vote yeah. um, as a way of getting involved. Are there any other ways? Um, do you have to be politically involved to um, help help your community or help mm. your society? Mm-hmm. I think that's some one thing because I was in debate for and, and speech and debate for four years. And at the end of it, when you're debating and you're talking about political issues and um, whatever for four straight years the day I graduated I unsubscribed from New York Times mm. I like I really tried to kind of cut myself out and then before the election I tried to kind of um, learn more about so that I could yeah. be an informed voter but um, trying to like get out of that space for a little bit because it, a lot of I remember you telling me when I was um, watching the news once or when I was little that 80 some percent of the news we watch is considered like negative Mm. and i don't know if that statistic is exactly correct but like when i sit down to watch i mean i don't anymore but when Mm -hmm. i sit down when i was sitting down to watch the news it's very negative and a lot of it is like socially and not so much um politically like Mm. especially your Mm -hmm. local news yeah so is there a way that individually we can be more involved to improve society other than just voting and other than just politically yeah yeah, certainly, right? Um, and I think that, but your question is, do you have to be politically involved to make a better world or something along those lines? Correct. Certainly not. You know, like, I think everyone sort of has their lane um, and everyone can do a lot in that lane. And, and we I was talking with some friends about this around, um, you know, after the murder of George Floyd, when there were, when there were protests and, um, and we need everybody in that moment, right? Like we need the people who are, um, uh, in the streets marching and we need the people who are writing really good pieces about it. We need the people who are, um, you know, at home getting really informed and seeing what the narrative is on the news. And we need the people who are uh, feeding people and we need the people who are um, teaching children, you know, about this moment in time. And so I think that like, sometimes it can feel really overwhelming because we think we need to do everything all at once. And the reality is, is that, um, is that everybody has these like gifts and these things that like they can do really well. And that's, what's going to move the needle. You know, it's not people who are scattered trying to do everything all at once. And, and I think that like, you know, to be somebody's, you know, I don't know, to just even like, yeah, there's just so many ways to contribute without, you know, feeling like you have to, um, something I've been thinking a lot about too is like how informed do I need to be responsible but not overwhelmed and I think that's a that's a line that or like not making to... it your lifestyle but yeah yeah and for some people that is their lifestyle and they love knowing what's going on and that's important but it's you know for me it's like I need to know to a certain extent and then from there I'm better off you know like you know I don't know doing something in my actual community than I am you know at home watching more news or reading yeah more news. that comes back to what you said in the beginning just like having not just your own voice which is um part of the reason I started a podcast was um like I love obviously I love sports mm-hmm. I love watching sports I love talking about sports so I want to say that but it's like creating and we we can only do it like this is the best time for us to do it when technology is evolving Mm -hmm. there's platforms being evolved where we can i don't know like literally anyone can not go viral on tiktok but anyone can be recognized for 
your stance on this issue, this mm-hmm, issue, mm-hmm. this sports thing, yeah. this whatever. So I think that's huge for people who are involved and want to do more for their community. And it doesn't have to be like starting a podcast or like right. writing about about your ideas, but um, just, I don't know, just becoming more, um, just learning more and I don't know. Yeah, comes back to like and doing what's sort of true to you and like think about our brother jack who's like a gifted teacher like so gifted right. and like that is his lane and that's where he's going to make the biggest difference in the world is like you know staying true to that and if he you know were spending all the time and energy that he puts into that and to something that didn't feel as authentic to him but he felt like he had to do you know it wouldn't have as big of an impact yeah i love that um so you talked about, or when we got on this issue, you you brought up your dad, you brought up indigenous mm-hmm. um, people, and you kind of come from that. I want to, I don't know a specific question that I want to ask towards this, but yeah. um, I guess it can relate to you're on the BBC um, indigenous people. Um, was it the podcast kind of like yeah. that was premiering on October 10th? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was the BBC World News Podcast for Indigenous People's Day. Um, yeah, and a big thing about moving to Vermont for me was to be in more indigenous community and, and be more tied to the land. And, you know, something I do is I write a newsletter and I also host conversations with folks who are indigenous and um, others who have ancestors who, you know, sort of survived their ends of the world as well and how we can sort of use that wisdom and love going forward to, you know, to build this world that we all want that is more just and more compassionate. Um, it's fine because we're half siblings, but like we know each other so well and we're how our half came to be is like you're um you can relate more to that than I can but yeah it's like I can learn about it yeah. and um so I think that's just I don't know that's just yeah. weird that we're we're sister and brothers but um that that is kind of like where we really differ yeah right yeah. something that yeah. you can that is a part of your lifestyle that is a part of mine. Right. Yeah. You will never understand the experience of an mm-hmm. indigenous woman and I will never understand the experience of a European male. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's just very interesting. Yeah. And, um, you know, as close as we can be and as in, completely intertwined as our lives are, you know, like in many ways, um, there's just always going to be that, but, um, yeah, we have a lot to learn from each other. I think. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think we're going to end off with your website yeah. and your future goals. Yeah. So my What's... website is madisonmurphybarney.com and it has my writing on there and my doula work on there. Cause I'm a oh, doula. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of people, I mean, I didn't even, not a lot of people, like I didn't know what, um, being a doula, or I didn't even know what a doula was until, uh, you became one. So, yeah. So it's a, it's a lot of things, but it's someone who's present at a birth. I'm a birth worker. Um, and, and I also do death doula and um, all sorts of dueling across all I'm a full spectrum doula. So there's a lot of different um, arenas I work in, but it's um, postpartum support, things like that. So yeah, I'm just um, someone who's there for the big crossing of the thresholds of life. Um, and then my goals for the future are... Um, Is that, oh, your website? Yeah, it's on, there. Is on your website. Yeah, that and then the writing that I mentioned and the newsletter and the, the interviews I do. And then also, you know, I'm available for different storytelling and health equity consulting and things like that. And I hope to continue to to grow in all sorts of directions. And I'm realizing now that I'm not someone who's ever probably going to be happy doing one thing at a time and that that's no. okay. And yeah. you know, just leaning into that and um I hope to ever, you know, grow and, and and nourish a really strong community in Vermont. Um, and if I, you know, maybe rent the house out a couple months a year and live around different places. Um, I you don't have much where to go though. Yeah. You haven't been to. <laughs> There's still a lot to see my guy. How many, do you, do you have a number of how many countries, continents you've been to? So I've been to 67 countries. And there are a hundred and I don't know. 16? It depends on who's counting. Yes. You know, it depends on who's counting. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, you can't really Google the number. Yeah, it depends. Yeah. But that's, so there's just some places I'd like crazy. to spend some time. And, um, you know, another goal of mine is I would really like to, um, you know, probably be married. Yeah. Yeah. You've been to North America, South America, Europe, mm-hmm. Asia, Australia, yeah. Africa. Mm-hmm. And. So I haven't been to Antarctica. 
You haven't been to Antarctica. No, we haven't. But everywhere else. Yeah. Um, future goals. Yeah, those are sort of them. You know, nourish the community. The community in Vermont. Yeah, uh, grow my career, figure out, you know, maybe write a book. I'd like to write a book. I'd like to get married someday. Um, whatever that looks like for me. Um, and I would like to, you know, my, the most important people in my life are, are really are my siblings. And so I'd like to continue to be a, a sister who's there for you and, and all of our siblings and, you know, have you all gathered in my home in different ways and the same ways and, um, be a good aunt, you know, those Amazing. things. Yeah. Awesome. Future goals. We covered your life journey, mm-hmm. your Ted talk. Mm-hmm. Um, one more quote that you had in your TED talk, which was amazing, is let yourself let things change your own life. Mm, yeah, that's true. I love that one. You have to, you know, like I have had a lot of plans um, and they've changed and letting them change is the best gift you can give yourself because you know what you want now, but you don't always know what that'll look like. And, you know, sticking to something that no longer serves you doesn't serve you or anyone. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, May. Uh, my first segment series um, guest of the month of the people who inspire me. Thanks, Max. I love Thank you. Thank you. Love you too.